Hey, so I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you're an artist yourself and you want some insider tips, insights, and general advice from artists you respect. One aspect of the business we sometimes discuss on Best Advice is rollout strategies. When you're dropping new music, you want to give it the best chance of getting heard. It's all about reaching the right listeners at the right time. That's why our team at Spotify for Artists built Marquee. Marquee is a marketing tool for turning listeners into bigger fans of your new music. With Marquee, you can send full screen recommendations of your latest album, EP, or single to the right fans as soon as they open the app. Listeners who see your Marquee are twice as likely to save your tracks, making it a better way to develop your audience than trying to drive streams from social media. To find out more, go to artists.spotify.com slash marquee. I'm Rachel Swaby, and this is Human Race. On today's episode, a sprint. This week's short story was brought to us by producer Danielle Thompson. It's about how a chance meeting kicked off one woman's incredible running career. But between that first surprise encounter and this runner's eventual success... So many unbelievable things happen. If there is a typical athlete coming into her own story, this is not it. Here's Danielle. When she was just 14 years old, Katie Shilley learned what it was like to get hate mail. Here's a sample. First of all, she'll never be able to bear children. Uh, secondly, what, what mother would want her daughter running through the woods with the boys? Girls' places in the home, in the kitchen, not out running. Uh, I would develop a low husky voice and hair on my chest and long stringy muscles and, you know, my insides would fall out and all these terrible things would happen to a woman if she ran. Why was she getting these letters? Because she was a girl running on a high school cross-country team and it was 1971. But more on that later. How Katie started running is a good story, too. It starts in Syracuse, New York, when Katie was 14. I had a crush on a boy, and he was going to run in this 10-mile road race in Verton, New York, which is just a few miles from where I grew up. And I was standing on the sidelines waiting for the race to start, and a woman came up to me and asked me if I was going to run in the race. I said, no, I, I can't even run 10 miles. I couldn't possibly run in a race this long. And the woman was Catherine Switzer. And I had no idea who she was. Yes, that Catherine Switzer. The first woman to compete in the Boston Marathon with a bib number. You've likely seen the infamous pictures that show Catherine being attacked by a Boston Marathon race official. Because at the time, the race was closed to women. Four years later, that same Catherine Switzer walks up to Katie. We reached her by phone to see if she remembered the meeting. I remember it quite distinctly because I was really hoping to go under seven minutes a mile. And I looked over and there she was, this young woman. I don't know, I would guess she was perhaps about 14, maybe 15. And she had the most incredible legs. They clearly were runner's legs. And I had this kind of frisson of both jealousy and worry that is she going to run this race because she looks unbelievable. And when she said she wasn't, I was so relieved because I thought she was going to wipe me off the face of the earth. <laughs> Switzer introduced Katie to Al Bonnie, the coach of the Syracuse Chargers track team. 
Coach Bonnie asked me to go run uh, three miles a day um, and give him a call in a couple of weeks. We wrote down his, his phone number, and I ran in blue jeans and a top. I just have to add here, Katie didn't run in any pair of jeans. Bell bottoms. She ran in bell bottoms. And I didn't know how to find three miles, but I saw a sign that there's a small airport close to my house, and the sign said a mile and a half to the airport. So I ran to the airport and back every day on Gilner Road. And it turns out that was four miles, but <laughs> who knew? After doing these runs for a few weeks, she called Coach Bonnie and told him she'd been running. He decided to put her in a half-mile race to see how she'd do. Katie came in second. Seeing the potential of a great runner, Coach Bonnie urged her to join her school's cross-country team that fall. Then the high school had just the boys' team. But the coach of the boys-only team, Jerry Schultz, welcomed Katie. Sure, she could run with the team. But when it came time for cross-country competitions with other schools, they encountered a problem. My coach met with all the other coaches and said, you know, I have got a girl on the team, so when we come to your school, you're going to have to open up the girls' locker room. And they all whipped out their New York State Athletic Handbook, and it had a listing of, of all the sports that girls could compete with boys in, and cross-country wasn't on there. And they said, look, it's, you can't have a girl on the team. It's not listed here. Maybe 45 years have taken the edge off the verdict, or maybe it's just Katie's upbeat personality. But she's surprisingly matter-of-fact about how it all went down. Actually, I have my little uh, running log, and I, I had written, oh, I ran five miles, six miles, eight miles, two miles, and then I just wrote on it, they said I can't run. Katie says as a 14-year-old, she probably wouldn't have pushed the issue, but her parents and coach did. They sent letters to athletic directors, the Board of Regents, and others in the school district, lobbying for Katie to be allowed to run on the team. That's when angry mail started to arrive. Letters about runners not being able to bear children, a woman's place in the home, a spontaneous hairy chest, and other totally ridiculous protests. But her mother and coach were undeterred. They got help from some heavy hitters that got wind of Katie's case. The American Civil Liberties Union took it up, led by famed activist and attorney Faith Seidenberg. Seidenberg filed a case against the state of New York on Katie's behalf. I was sort of embarrassed that the ACLU would have thought it was that big of a deal. I, in my little mind, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. As a, but as a 14-year-old, I was like, why would anybody be interested in little Katie Shilley and that, that I wanted to run cross-country? Despite Katie's nervousness, the case moved forward. The ACLU allowed the New York State Board of Regents to have a hearing before taking the case to trial. Then something remarkable happened. One of the regents, named Stephen Bailey, chose to champion Katie's cause. But Regent Bailey didn't just draft an opinion paper or give an impassioned speech. He wrote and performed a 10-stanza ballad. After his reading, there was a unanimous vote to allow girls to run cross-country. Katie wasn't at the hearing, and she didn't learn about the ballad until it showed up on her doorstep. He mailed it to me. He mailed it to me and my mom, and a letter saying that they had voted unanimously to allow the girls to compete, compete with boys. And I, it was, I still, I've, I used to have it memorized completely. No longer, that's gone. I can remember the first and the last stanzas. Can I hear it? Uh, the story begins with a young Katie Shilly who runs like a fawn or a thoroughbred filly. 
She hurdles, she dashes, she capers the mile, but what she does best is in cross-country style. And then the last verse uh, ends with, let's judge not by sex, but by patent ability. Regent Bailey's gesture has stayed with Katie for all these years. I regret that I never got to meet him. And a few years ago, I was thinking, I really want to thank him, but he has since gone. So, you know, I would have loved to have him know that because of his decision, I was able to go on and to finish high school running cross country. And and his time, Regent Bailey's time and effort in writing that poem and encouraging the other members to vote uh, really wasn't wasted. She didn't just go on to run with the high school team. By the time Katie was a senior, the boys elected her co-captain. With time, Katie was incredibly grateful that the ACLU recognized the significance of her case and led the charge on her behalf. She was one of thousands of women across the United States fighting for the right to play whatever sport they wanted. Just six months after Katie won the right to run, Congress passed Title IX, and cases like Katie's were the reason sports were included. After high school, Katie got a scholarship to run at Iowa State. She represented the United States at races all over the world, and she won the California International Marathon and the San Francisco Marathon in 1984. When you hear Katie's story, you can't help but think a whole community raised a champion. Catherine Switzer picked her out of a crowd. A high school coach believed she could run with the boys. A regent pushed to change the rules using poetry. And her mother supported her every step of the way. But maybe Katie would have found a way on her own, because after all, I just love to run. I have always, always loved to run. And now, the full ballad of Katie Shilley, as read by Maury Bailey, Regent Stephen Bailey's son. With wind in the willows and swirls in the snow, I sing you a ballad of torment and woe. But the ballad's not ended, for if we reverse a former position, we've lifted the curse. The story begins with a young Katie Shilley, who runs like a fawn or a thoroughbred filly, she dashes, she hurdles, she capers the mile, but what she does best is in cross-country style. Because of her stamina, fleetness, and grace, she covets its spot in the cross-country race in central New York for Central Square High to help them to win or at least to a tie. She's physically fit for the slated position. The doctors admit she's in tip-top condition. But a strange inadventure has set up a hex for by commissioner's regs, she was born the wrong sex. That the sexes are different is known to a dunce, and viva, say the French, le grand différence, no one can argue for mixed competition on a grand iron or rink or by boxing commission. But as regents have noted, in tennis and chess, in badminton, shuffleboard, archery tests, in skiing and track along with the men, Women may join if they have a strong yen. We come to the heart of the issue before us, an issue so simple it might even bore us. Katie may ski with the men mile after mile. She may run on a track coeducational style. The double AU allows women to run in heats of 10 miles at the sound of a gun. So a ban on cross country is not physiological. Our ruling is therefore a trifle illogical. 
Regents aren't ogres, our tenors not terror. Like Scrooge, let us happily note a sad error. In the course of this meeting, our chinny-chin-chin, let's amend Section 4 and let cross-country in. In this season so jolly, with wassail and yuling, I humbly beseech you to make this new ruling, to end an unfairness, a latent hostility. Let's judge not by sex, but by patent ability. Human Race was produced by me, Rachel Swaby, and Danielle Thompson, with help from Mervyn Deganos. Our theme music is by Danny Koch. David Willey is the editor-in-chief of Runner's World and the editor-in-chief of this podcast. We'll see you next week.